0: you bunch of yahoos strap yourselves in for another episode of dan and don's toxic masculinity
1: in other words shut up sit up and pay attention and here we go and welcome back to another episode of toxic masculinity where we offer up our you know our own political sets uh, approach to opinions uh, opinionated you know we're just a couple of crotchety old farts that have a bad habit of speaking the truth, but won't let a few facts get in the way of a good old story. We believe in America and Americans, and if this isn't for you, well, we suggest that you change the channel now. We still believe in freedom of speech, and we'll rub your face into the cow pie of reality. <laughs> uh, without further ado, uh, my cohort in crime, none other than the man of myth, men, that don the predator fry, and I his trusty sidekick, Dan, to be severed. And I'm not sure if he's got his sidekick, Quinn, with him there today, but Quinn is oh, his faithful so- uh, dog, bulldog, that he normally has with him that uh, does her, her very own cameo-type reports. And today's guest is none other than Greg Ganya who began his professional career in the American Wrestling Association we he gained recognition as a tag team specialist and won multiple AWA World Tag Team Championships. I also trained many stars in the world of professional wrestling today. So that's all I have. We're going to get to a lot more good stuff right there uh, because you and I had the chance to sit down and do a lot of chatting at the Professional International Professional Hall of Fame.
2: Yes, so, we did. That was actually uh, I want to apologize to you last night I went online just to look at your background and I knew you were a fantastic amateur wrestler and an olympic champion but I did not know that you wrestled pro I, I had okay no please go, go ahead you can but say I a few more kind with- dates.
1: I, I got I got some more time here there
2: <laughs> no, I mean I went down that list and, and and the credentials you have are phenomenal and and what you've done for amateur wrestling, for pro wrestling. It's beyond what anybody I know in the sport has done. Yeah. And no. and I really apologize for not knowing that background on you. Oh, no,
1: no, 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 no. Apology. I mean, it, it, it's, I'll just say life is so busy for everyone. It's kind of hard to know who we are talking to at times. I mean, I've, I've, I've been in the same boat there at different times. It was uh, when I was being first approached about, Working for the NWA, you know that I, that they wanted to put the strap on me. I mean, what he, year was that? Oh gosh, mm-hmm. I'm trying to think right now because uh, uh, I mean, my would have been right around 1990, oh, 1992 time frame. Ninety
2: two, yeah. Because so,
1: a, as as of the as of the nineteen ninety two Olympics, uh, the NCA came down with a new ruling that athletes could be both amateur and professional simultaneously. So yeah. that's literally when I crossed. The line at that point that I could be a I could be a professional wrestler because that was what the opportunities were for me at that point. That I was being approached by a lot of smaller organizations to turn pro, and I kept thinking, "Gosh, I can I can make a buck," and and I still do this. And I didn't want to tell none of my amateur wrestling buddies because they were they all looked down upon it.
2: Yeah, oh, I know. You know? Oh, and, I and
1: and that's where's that like going? But this was just, this was an opportunity for me, and I'm thinking, well, it like maybe they looked down, or maybe because they didn't get the opportunity to, to do that. You know, I, I looked at it in a couple of different ways, and I kept thinking it's an opportunity that, that I don't want to kick myself in the pants down the road that I didn't at least try something. Mm-hmm. But but you know, I don't I don't kind of a, a little sidebar of that when when the thought of the NWA wanting to put the that NWA strap around me. I think there were only like three or four promoters left for that organization, period.
2: Yeah. And man, I,
1: yeah, and and I had never met Jim Cornette at, at this at this juncture in life. I never met him. I, I knew who he was just from watching professional yeah. wrestling and he was always that tennis racket wielding manager that said almost all anything that would come out of his out of his mouth right there. So I only knew him in that sense. And uh, I don't know who made the phone calls because I know there's like Dennis Carluzzo and a a couple of the people that I was dealing with that were the last of the – like three of the last promoters who reached out to Jim Cornette to somehow that I would be at the arena to watch a match take place and somehow something happened to where now an impromptu match is going to break out between Chris Candido and myself. And he's going to let me go over on his champion. I'm thinking – this man has never met me before. He doesn't know what kind of a character I am, what my background is. And I'm thinking, and this guy is gonna let me go to his organization, Smoky Mountain Wrestling, and let me go over on his champion. I'm thinking, what a leap of faith he had. But I mean, I I I, I like Jim in the sense that he he loves the business. Yeah. And you can actually tell when he starts talking about it. How excited he gets! You you can you can see the 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 child that that fell in love with it so many decades ago, and he just wants to try to make some kind of rational rhyme and reason of Professor which You've been involved in the industry long enough. There are times when you're 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 pulling the hair out of your head. There's like going, "That well, makes no rhyme or reason," you know.
2: Yeah. Well, there were some uh, you know unbelievable characters, and you know Christopher Fern. He started back in 1950, 49, actually, um, on in the DuPont Network out of Chicago. And it was really funny because he had his first match in 1949 in Minneapolis. He wrestled the University of Minnesota, Big Ten champion, NCAA champion a number of times. Yeah. So he comes from we, the same
1: background. Yeah, same same background.
2: And Vern's philosophy, you know, was, when you got in the ring, you had to know how to wrestle. And that's the way he taught all of us. And over the years, he trained 144 different wrestlers, and only 2% of them didn't make main event caliber. Wow. And, but when he was in the AWA, and that, he was tell the story. His first matches with this Abe King Kong Cash, a big old rugged guy. And uh, about 15 minutes into the match, and he's got his buddies, Bud Grant, who ended up coaching the Vikings, played football with them, as Billy By and this Jim Malosky and Harvey Solon, four of his buddies with the football team were in the front row, and he was he was Vern was on the ropes and Cashy was choking him, and they jumped up and he leaned over and he said, "Sit down, punks," and they all sat down <laughs> and <they> were quiet. Watch <laughs> the match, but uh, Vern wrestled about nineteen minutes that night, and then they told him he was too small, so they sent us to. Uh, we lived in a trailer. We got a trailer. My mom, uh, Vern, and I. I was born in forty eight, so I was quite young. We went to Tulsa, Oklahoma and the first week there he won the light heavyweight the nwa light heavyweight championship and we made that circuit around louisiana and texas and oklahoma and then he gets a call from fred Colder out of chicago and fred says hey vern we'd like to bring you to chicago if you're going on national tv and with your background and everything we really would like to have you So they fly Vern into Chicago. So he tells the story. So he gets into Chicago, gets down to to the arena, and there's about 30 guys in the locker room. And Fred Kohler, the promoter, says, Vern, here's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to dress you up as a Martian. We're going to lower you down from the ceiling. He says, the hell you are, Fred. I'll tell you what, I got my wrestling boots and my tights. I'm going down to the ring. What do you got, 30 guys here? They can come in one at a time two at a time or three at a time if I can't beat them all I'll quit well nobody got wow. him. nobody got in the ring with them so he had wrestling in his tights and his trunks and in 1950 he was the first athlete besides Babe Ruth to make over 100 grand
1: unbelievable
2: so he was kind of the major star on there they'd bring Lou Thez in and Vern was the light heavyweight champion Lou was the NWA heavyweight champion and you know guys like Dick the Bruiser, Hardwell, Haggerty, Yukon Eric, Don Leo, Jonathan—all those names from the past, big stars in the '50s. But that's how he got going. And then in 1960, he bought into the Minneapolis Wrestling Organization and ran the AWA from then until McMahon put us out of business. And he was the he was the number one promoter, and you know our matches were as real as you could as it could be, because if we couldn't wrestle, you couldn't work for Vern.
1: Yeah, well, that, that was one thing that I was always saying. The marquee says, professional wrestling. Yeah. Please give us some wrestling. I mean, when you just see people oh. that go out there and they flex, 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 or they talk, wow. talk, 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 yeah. I might go on. I, I, I always loved it when, I, as I'm getting to know whoever I'm supposed to be working with that night, for the first time ever, I always try to ask them, "What is your actual athletic background? What kind of sports yeah. did you play? Did you actually wrestle at some point in time? Because you know, yeah. I just want to just be able to do some some basic types of moves, be able to take someone on down, get on down there. Can can you do like a grand B roll? Can you do a switch? Can you do a sit out turn in? Sit, can you do an out, official stand up? I mean, and most of these guys, you take them down to the mat, they're lost mm-hmm. the moment they hit, they touch that mat, they're
2: lost. completely lost. I mean, Vern's camp. We, we, we went six hours a day, six days a week, and we started out with free squats, and we had to build up to doing 1,000 nonstop in the first hour. Wow. And then we'd get up in the ring, and then the next one was more calisthenics in the ring. They had things where you'd stand on your head in the turnbuckle and your feet up there and roll on your neck. And then you would, I mean, in my class had Rick Flair, Ken Patera, Jim Brunzel, the Iron Sheik, Bob Bruggers, and myself. And wow. Martin was the only one that really didn't make it, but he was about 32 when he started and came out of pro football. But then he had a drill where you'd sit on your hands and knees, and then Patiro was 340 at the time. He'd sit on my back facing my ass, and then he would do a sit up and you'd have to push him up with your neck.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, again, again that? and that's where both that. both guys get a workout, because most young yeah.
2: people. And do all the, all, you know. <laughs> yeah. The, In and out, an hour of that. Then we did an hour of holes and counter holes, and then an hour of bumps, learning how to protect yourself. And uh, then uh, we did an hour at at the last, let's see, then we do an hour on the ropes, you know, and shit, you know, when you start hitting them, it tears all the skin off you. You're black and blue and sore. And uh, then the last hour, he'd take us across and run, we'd run sprints, 10 yards, stop for 10, run 10, all the way down to this lake, which is about a quarter mile away, quarter mile back, then across the street where he had these, It was a river and there was these big bluffs, we'd have to run up and down those. And Patira came in at 340, Flare at 290, uh, Patira came out at 310, Patira and Flare at 260, and it would be pitch black in the three, you'd see them just come, <laughs> they would be about a mile behind us. Walking in, but his camps were uh, just—they were like that. And he started that back in the early '60s, '50s, actually late '50s, training guys and 144. He put more. I'm just trying to think how many people
1: would even would even survive that kind of training today. I mean, it's it's almost too physical. I I,
2: it is. Yeah. Well,
1: it's each generation (laughs) I see right now, it it becomes a, a little bit more of a softer generation. I mean, there's. There are certain sports where you got some rugged type of individuals that come out of it, but uh, you know, as a whole, whew, a softening of society, especially I I say of American society, because yeah. we have we have so many good things that most Americans don't realize that you got a light that you hit a switch, it turns on. You got air conditioning you can turn on. You got food that you can have easy access to, and you got indoor plumbing versus. Outdoor. I I always say. I remember going to my my grandparents' home and and seeing they actually were high end. They had an outhouse, but it had two two people could sit in there, take care of business, and okay. have someone to chat
2: with. <laughs> you can take your girlfriend in there with you.
1: <laughs> so it was it was pretty comical. And ironically, that outhouse I, I'm talking about is actually going going through several generations. Um, not the exact same out, outhouse, but uh, we had we had an outhouse up at, at our uh, the cabin that we had up in in the northern part of Michigan. Uh, but that but that same outhouse, I, I'll bet that outhouse has got to be oh, easily sixty some years old now. You got it. But it it's still in the family. It's still like standing? it's like the family heirloom. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Fantastic.
1: Yeah. Um, no, it's it's just kind of. People just don't realize it when until you you don't have certain things of what you what what is what are the necessities of life.
0: Yeah, it's we're well, we, we gonna move it out to your house out here, Dan.
1: Well, I don't think yard. I ever thought about that there, Don. Prop it in the front yard, man. <laughs> put, put some nice flowers around it. That's Come it. on.
0: Make yeah, yeah. <laughs> a nice decoration there. And yeah.
1: Just have, have, have like, just a, uh, something about window side. Hey, Frank, how's it going? You know, yeah. Yell at the neighbors.
0: Uh, don't bother me for a while.
1: Yeah, get your dog out of my yard. I don't want him crapping in my yard.
0: <laughs> uh, terrific.
1: Well, what, what, uh, what occupies, I'm, I'm curious. Okay. I mean, you, you got involved into inside of a family business and, and uh, so what you, did you feel like you were just compelled you had to do, you had to do it?
2: No, actually I want to play pro football and I went to school at Minnesota, played uh, football there for a year. They moved me from quarterback to defensive back and okay. I, I didn't like that, and Wyoming had recruited me as a quarterback, so I, I transferred out there and played football out there, and I came home one one Christmas, and I said, you know, Dad, I think I'd like to wrestle. He says, what makes you think you can wrestle? Well, shit from when I was a little guy, he'd always take me downstairs and move the furniture, you know, and then we'd have to wrestle. He'd show me how to, you know, a switch and side roll, and then he'd tie me up, and He would reverse it all the time. And this went on, Dan. I came back from Wyoming my my senior year for winter break. And he says, come on, let's go in the living room. And I said, ah, shit. So we go over there and (laughs) we're going, we're going. And he got me hooked. And I'm like, shit. So I gave him a little elbow in the nose and he cracked my ribs. Oh, you're kidding me. Wow. Now now I got to go back. To the University of Wyoming, and we have winter, winter ball, and I go back there with cracked ribs. And the coach say, what's wrong with you? You're not hustling. I said, oh, well, I had to wrestle my dad. We, get, we do this thing all the time, and he teaches me all these moves, and he cracked my ribs. And of course, they're laughing their ass off, you know. Oh, sure, because, yeah. I, I took shit all the time. The rest of, you know, from there on, it was, it was, you know, it was tough. But, yeah. uh, no, he, he, uh, he was uh, he was quite the uh, quite the personality, and and he he liked it. And when we finished the camp, he turned to us and he said, "Now you guys, you can go anywhere in the business, and you don't have to be afraid of anybody." You no, can, I, I, you I, 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 a so capable professional, Yeah, yeah. So we they sent Jim, my partner Jim Brunsell, and I down to Atlanta. Sit down on on a in the locker room and a guy named Brute Bernard is there with his manager, Gary Hart. So I went over and I sat by and I said, hi, I'm Greg he, I better be careful what I say here, but he, he said, your father's a prick. And I said, well, I'm sure he feels the same way about you. And he looked at me and he got up in my face and I got up. So he walked into another locker room. So I said to Brenzell, come on, we're gonna go in there. We'll follow him in. So went back in and sat down next to him. I said, okay, do we have a problem or not? (laughs) No problem. (laughs) But it really woke us up to the respect that the people that came out of Ernst's camp got Mm -hmm. from other professionals around. I mean, he went back, you know, guys, like he trained Larry Henning, Lars Jean, and Noli Anderson. You know, it just, I mean, the list goes on and on. And uh, the people that came out of that camp and, they all made it and they all made it big, except about two percent of the guys.
1: Yeah, no, again, you're, you're always gonna have a certain yeah. Group that, uh, you know, I'll just say life kind of happens to, to yeah. certain people, so yeah, I mean, but but still, I mean, that that's an incredible record of uh, you know, success.
2: Yeah. Nobody else wrestling has done that, you know, now the WWE they've got their own camps, they train them, but you know, it's, it's such a different style now. I mean, it's just not, it's all action to me. It's like a
0: It's high
2: spot, high spot, high spot. Yeah. 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 Just boom, 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 boom. boom. You know, it was what made professional wrestling, I think, was the story. Yeah, Yeah, the storytelling. You know, and and I tell people, either people are going to like you or they're not going to like you. But you have to get that emotion. You have to emotionally get them involved into your personality. And once you do that, you know, it's a home run. And it's fun.
0: Did you work in Japan? Oh, yeah. 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 i like that. We
2: we wrestled. We had a real, uh, Vern was really good about giving guys time off. We had the whole month of May and the first two weeks of June off. And then it started up. We only ran maybe three towns a week during the summer up until September. Then we went hard until the end of April, just about every night. So Jim and I were the tag team champions, and we're going to Japan for a tag team tournament. The night before, we were in a cage match in Salt Lake City, and this Jerry Blackwell had thrown me over the top rope, and my foot caught the rope and it just twisted it up. Ooh. My knee, I woke up in the morning, it was all swollen up. And I went, God, we got to get on a plane. We got to go to LA and then to, to Tokyo. So I got the girls, gave me some ice, put on my knee. We got to Tokyo in 19 hours. Then we have to fly up to Sapporo. They pick us up in a cab, we had to get dressed in the cab. Go right in the ring, and we're wrestling in this tournament. So the first night was pretty; it was a, a not too bad a match, about 15 minutes. The next night, we wrestled Jumbo, Saru Teruda, and Tenaru. One's 270, the other 260, and we wrestled them for 50 minutes and won the match. The next night, we get Dory Funk Jr., who was the NWA World Champion, and Giant Baba, who is seven foot tall. We wrestled them 50-some minutes, and my knees all wrapped up. I'm limping like a son of a bee, but getting through it. The third night, we got Stan Hansen and King Kong Brody. Now, these wow. two knuckleheads, you know, we get in the ring, and we, oh, we're ready. And all of a sudden, I go, Jesus, look out. Jim gets hit with a cowbell. I get hit with a chain. Out of the ring we go. Through the people, they hit us with a fire extinguisher, run us into a wall, we're both cut up and we're fighting back to the ring and Hansen can't see very good. And this little Japanese guy got up and the chair fell. So I grabbed it and I threw it at Hansen like a frisbee and caught him right on the bridge of the nose. Busted his nose. 40 minutes we went with them and just beat the crap out of each other. And my knee is killing me. So we keep going. We have to re- all we go through all these guys again. And we meet Hanson and Brody in the finals in the wow. Tokyo Dome. And by now I can hardly walk. So when I finally get home from the trip, run right into the hospital. They opened up my knee and they said, the cartons fell out in five pieces.
0: Wow. But,
2: as you know, your wrestle hurt, you got to make those events. And it's a, it was, it was pretty amazing, but you know, we, uh, It was, it was interesting over there because they didn't have any rules. And, uh, it was, it was funny. The first time we went over there, the guys said it was Bob Bruggers and myself. We're the two rookies We're with blackjack Mulligan, Lars Anderson, uh, two guys from South Africa and, uh, two other main eventers from, from the States. So we're kind of the rookies. So you have to go in and you look on the, on the, uh, on the board, you try to find your symbol. Who you're wrestling so we've uh-huh. been there two, two weeks and so we're on the first or second match we get in the locker room and bob says hey i can't find my symbol i said well it's got to be up there so this is the we're there six weeks this is the fourth week into it and i look up and i said oh shit you're in the main event you're in a cage match tonight a cage match <laughs> cage match i don't know what to do. <laughs> So I went up to Giant Baba, the promoter, and I said, hey, could I go out and be his manager? Because he doesn't know what to do. Yes. Now, in Japan at that time, you'd get in the ring, they'd introduce you, they'd clap for either both teams, give you some give you girls, you give you flowers, you'd wrestle, and it'd be dead silent through the match. Yes. Remember? And when it got done, they would clap. and it was Dead yes. fucking silent. So we got this cage match, and Bob's getting the crap beat out of him. And I'm walking. I remember Bobby Heenan telling me, hey, if you're a manager, keep moving. You know, they'll throw stuff on Japan and I got to throw shit at you, you know. So I see this shiny thing on the floor, a little piece of metal. So I hand it to Bob and I said, hit the guy right over his eyebrow. Hit him right down. And he does and bust the guy open. The people go. Woo. And I mean, they erupt. And I'm going, holy shit. And all of a sudden, a whiskey bottle goes flying by me and hits the cage. And then I see this little Japanese guy come over the railing, and I turn to him, and as he goes to jump back over, I kick him in the ass. And over (laughs) he goes. In the meantime, Bob gets beat, so the people are just, they're, they're standing, and they're throwing stuff. So I climbed over the cage, into the cage, and all of a sudden, I see a shadow. I look up, and a chair hits me right in the head, and I see the blood. And I run up the turnbuckle with the chair and this little jack, these guys running. and I fire it down and hit him behind the head. Full fledged riot. They got the riot squad there. So the next two weeks, Bob and I are in the main event every night. We're getting like <laughs> a thousand bucks a week. These other guys get five, six grand. And we're in the main event and we have to have escorts, police escorts to the ring every night and in, in and out of the arena. That was wow. our first experience in Japan. We're two rookies. So no, I,
1: just like just like you said there, the, the crowd is actually it's a crowd that tends to study the match. And you and, and just like you said, it's so quiet. It's
0: and you think rock. that
1: and you think and you think that, well, no one likes the match, but then all of a sudden in unison they'll all go,
0: oh, oh. Or, you know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you got it down. <laughs> yeah, Ooh. that was. Uh, what was your best match
2: my best match yeah oh shit uh take teams uh take team matches with uh pat patterson and ray stevens yeah uh, i had few of them this one we were in denver colorado and denver was just a hot town for jim and i and when you would come out, the old auditorium, it would just, it would pulsate. I mean, it would, woo, woo. you know, and you're in that altitude and Jesus, the adrenaline's going through you. We got in the ring with Patterson and Stevens and Bobby Heenan was their manager. And in eight minutes, all they had was a top wrist lock on us. And we'd try to get out of it and they'd either pull our hair or our tights. <laughs> and in eight minutes, we had a full-fledged riot. People coming in the ring to help us. <laughs> You know, that's when you know you've really captured the audience. And, well, and you, you, the, yeah, you you, right you, you, told,
1: you told a good story. You, 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 yeah. That's,
2: you know. you sold. You're sold, you know. You, yeah. you make them believe. And then, uh, I had an our draw with Nick Bachwinkle that I had a lot of people say was one of the best matches they'd ever seen within the industry. You know, the, the wrestlers themselves. I mean, those are the guys you really, if you can get them then you, you know you've done your job. But you, in other words, do you watch of the, any of the product nowadays? Uh, you know, I just got through watching it today. I wanted to watch uh, what they did uh, the other night. I have a tough time with it. You know, okay. I know it's, it's changed. It's completely entertainment. I mean, mm-hmm. Jesus Christ, this this Zeth uh, Rollins, uh, he took him over and banged his head on the mat comes right up and he's, he's punching him kicking and i mean there's there's no there's no storyline to it there's no yeah. get those people emotionally in it's like a it's mcman's philosophy it's all the show and give them a rock concert you know yeah uh well i mean and, yeah I nothing mean, against wrestlers they're all great they're good athletes and they've yes. learned the, learned it and they've they put in the time but for what they're doing with it I have, I have a tough time. But yeah. Yeah. Well, again, I, I think correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I do believe
1: it was it was Vince that kind of exposed the business, just so that he didn't did not have to fall underneath yeah. athletic commissions anymore because right. it's like you know it's that it's a
0: it's, it's not a show. real fight. Hey, athletic, it's, he didn't it's have a, to pay athletic taxes. You know yeah. that the uh, the professional athlete, athletic tax in each state. So he he called it entertainment so that he could bypass that tax.
2: Well, I tell you, there was a big difference between uh, the NWA, where they ran, uh, the WWF at that time, the AWA and and the other ones, uh, Stu Hart up in Calgary, Fritz Von Erich down in in Texas, and him and Joe Blanchard, and then you had Eddie and Mike Graham in Florida. Now, Charlotte, Florida, Don Owens out in Cal, they wanted wrestling. They wanted the guys to wrestle. I was at Madison Square Garden on the second match with a guy named Johnny Rods who got beat on TV all the time. And we went out there and we were on the second match and we wrestled about 14 minutes and we had the people standing. And when I walked back into the dressing room, Vince senior says to me, what was that? I said, well, that was wrestling. And he said, well, how are my guys going to follow that? That's, that's that's their problem, <laughs> but, but their style was all punching and kicking. You know, there was never yeah. many wrestling holds, and it was funny because Vern would send talent up to McMahon usually six weeks before they were going to go in there. They would be on their TV, and then they, when they were finished up, they'd go up there. All the guys wrestled in the main event. He sent Pedro Morales, the world champion, to the AWA. He never made it past the second match on the card he couldn't he couldn't capture the people you know they didn't like that style they were so used to you know wrestling
0: mm-hmm.
2: and the holds and wanting to fight out of it all the emotion that goes with it and there was just punching and kicking and it just so everybody he sent there never made it i think maybe one guy made it up to maybe the third match out of maybe five we had but they never wrestled main event. They were they were superstars in New York. Wow. So, you know, that was the biggest difference in the philosophies around. Eddie Graham, you had to wrestle. Uh Charlotte, you had to be able to wrestle. AWA, you better wrestle. Stu Hart, you better wrestle. Same thing down with Fritz Eric, Von Eric and that group. But New York, they had the big markets and they captured them all, and they sold their product the way they did. So
0: you did there that you movie. Have. You did that movie um Highlander, right? Yeah. Yeah. How long how long did you do that match for? I mean how long? Because I done some movie work, you know. Uh I, I did a few scenes of Rowdy Roddy Piper. We did an hour and a half Broadway and they only used like three seconds of the, you know, we,
2: we wrestled uh, uh we wrestled about 20, 25 minutes. Yeah. Non stop with the Freebirds. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, they shot the whole thing, but you know it was. Oh, did they? We just did our thing, and, you know they didn't ask us to do anything that we couldn't do. We just said go in and have the match. Yeah, and that's what we did.
0: You still get residuals from that? No, no.
2: <laughs> they paid us all. I think the talent we got five hundred bucks, and then we were with. It was called Wrestling USA. This is when McMahon was starting to take over, and the the promoters came together and they were going to, you know, all work together. Well, the egos got in the way and they couldn't work together, but that was a combined card. So I think they all probably, I don't know what the movie company paid them, but they all got their little portion and we all got 500 bucks. And we weren't, we weren't on the guild yet. Right, right. We weren't considered actors. Right. And we never will be. Yeah.
1: Well, that's one of the beautiful things about being a professional. wrestler. So you're already uh, a, a natural uh, nice. stunt person as well. I mean, you, you, you don't need able yeah. to step on in there, there for for you. So
0: you know, it makes only hear you say that, man. <laughs> no, Nick, well, Nick, Nick well, it would beat your ass. <laughs> I guess Rick, m- m- Rick Mick, Mick Mick took
1: a, Mick took certain uh, certain bumps to the extreme, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He really did. Yeah. you could have almost. <laughs> A few bets there that will he make it? Will he not? I don't know. Because there's uh
2: yeah, I met Mick when he was first starting, and I, oh, my God, I said, Oh, I got it. You're not gonna last long in this business, pal. But he he did a great
0: job, you know. Great job, man. I don't see Yeah. It. You wrestled too? Did you wrestle? Yeah, I wrestled over at Japan for oh, Rinookie,
2: yeah. Where did you where did you and Dan meet
0: then? Arizona State.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah.
0: Yeah, he was my he was the assistant coach under Bobby Douglas when uh-huh. I was a freshman. Yeah, and, 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 and Don, Don
1: lived with a couple of my younger brothers, so I knew I knew Don much like a younger brother because I you know go there yeah. and visit and stuff like that. And, and uh, I was you know Don basically saw that I was in like in the Ultimate Fighting Championship, and he contacted me about that and see if I could help him get in there. And I would tell people that I just helped Don get his foot in the door. He kicked them wide open because he's had more. Most viewed matches because you know he he's he's been in some slugfest, yeah.
2: yeah.
0: It, it really is. but <laughs> it's smart enough to get my head out of
2: the way. <laughs> well, well I, I, you know, Vern was a. Vern was tough. I mean, he was tough. We all, everybody, he treated everybody the same way. Um, well, you have to though. I mean, that,
1: but that's he, what, but that's what some promoters don't understand. You got to treat everybody the same way. It's kind of like you know, these like money. your children here. You can't be just yeah. you know spoiling one child and then not uh, spoil everybody else
2: in the process. Well, he was. I I remember I got complimented three times from a little kid all the way up. Uh, the first time I was a high school football game, and then I completed like twelve out of thirteen passes, and you know for three hundred yards and ran for hundred and some. And he came back and said, that's the greatest game. I'm so proud of you. And, uh, the next time I'm trying to think of the next time, uh, the third time I remember was, uh, we wrestled. Oh, I wrestled with him as a tag team partner against Nick Bockwinkel and Saito. And Vern was in his sixties now. uh uh-huh. out of retirement for this match. And, um, he, he grabbed me afterwards. He said, you're better than I ever was.
0: Wow.
2: Nice. And, and I looked at him. I said, he said, you controlled that match. You made the whole thing. You made that match and made me in it, you know? So that was, that was about it.
0: Yeah. Brad Reagan's broke me into the business. Oh, well, Brad's a great guy, you know, burn
2: trained Brad, and then Brad kind of took over the camp. Yeah. Um, from from Vern and Brad was remember uh, Leon White, yeah, yeah yep. or Big Van Vader
0: Yep, I wrestled him in a match over there. Oh, that go went better for me than it did for him. <laughs> good,
2: good, good. Yeah, he came. He came to. He was playing football at University Colorado, and then he played for the Rams, and so we're wrestling in Denver. And after the matches were done in the, in the, having, having dinner, and he walks up with this, his agent. And his agent said, "Uh, Greg, I'd like to, like to talk to you for a minute. Can we have a little private conversation? And I said, sure. So I went and sat with him. He said, this is Leon White. He, uh, he's one of the toughest men I've ever met in my life. And he wants to wrestle professionally. And I looked at him and I said, what makes you think you can wrestle? Well, I go to the bars and I kick the crap all these guys. I said, well, these aren't bar fighters. These are professional wrestlers. I said, there isn't a guy around here that, can, that couldn't that kick your ass. And he looked at me and I said, yeah, you're 340 pounds. I'm 200. I'm not afraid of you. I'll go with you. And he looked at me. So finally I told my dad about him and they gave him a chance and he came out. I told Brad about him. Yeah. Brad got him in the ring, and Leon was about 340 at the time. Oh, within about 20 minutes, he had he had him screaming for his mom, and he was crying. Of course, <laughs> we all had laid on him then. Oh, yeah, you big push! I thought you could handle everybody. Brad's a machine, man. Oh, he, he was a machine. Yeah, he stretched him pretty good. <laughs> Yeah. But Brad, you know, Vern did that with all of us. And that's the way he wanted it. And when we went well, in that first week, he got stressed and we had Billy Robinson as one of our trainers too. And he was big on submission holds. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at the end of it, they'd show they'd show us a submission hold. They'd show you about three or four of them. And then each one of us had to take a turn to get on the mat. And then you'd be on there with Billy or Vern and they'd say, okay, there's the arm. Grab it. Oh, and you go to, you you know, you got to think, oh yeah, yeah, here's what we're going to do. And as you do it, they reverse it, shove your foot right up your ass, you know, (laughs) have you screaming. (laughs) But, you know, but that was, we did that for an hour every, every training camp too. So we learned some mission wrestling, but uh, that way, you know, you went out and you got, in trouble or you got into when we went into locker rooms we were really well respected and 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 people were a little Little back back offish, you know. Yeah, a
1: little bit intimidated, probably because of, of, the, of your heritage. I'm sure
2: when you walked in, Dan. I mean, they're all oh, Jesus Christ, these guys. Well, going
1: But I mean, but I, I did get a chance, like to meet both Billy Robinson and Luthez when I was first going over to Japan. work for the UWFI organization, uh-huh. and uh, but I mean, they were they were very kind. They were very complimentary because they, they were simply just watching how I was flowing, and and I was actually doing. Amateur wrestling techniques and some Greco-Roman yep. and a little bit of freestyle, all in professional wrestling. You know, because yeah. it's like, like well, for, well for the first time I ever walked into like the Ultimate Fighting Championship cage, I ended up doing a belly back suplex to to my my first opponent ever. But they had never seen anyone bodily pick up uh, another individual and just do a belly back suplex like that. And they're like the the, the crowd was like in, in horror that I'm, I'm going to break this guy in, in half and the whole nine yards. I'm thinking. It's it's a it's a very safe technique as long as you just yep. tuck your chin yep. to your chest and
2: oh, yeah. it's like go with how the to roll. Yeah. You but know? most of those guys don't know how to
1: fall. <laughs> yes. Well yeah. you, you learn that real quick. It, it's so surprising. But that's what I, I found out about professionals. a lot of them are good talkers, they're good punchers, they're good punchers, kickers, stompers, that kind of thing. But but just like when we start how we start this conversation, the marquee still says wrestling. Give yep. me some wrestling. And that's where I was, you know, I mean, that's where I was like. fortunate to have something like a Jim Cornette attached to me being there because I'm not going to get on a microphone and go blah, 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 blah. Look at me, look at me and that that or that, that type yeah. of thing. I'm just the kind of person that, you know, I'm going to try to dismantle you using wrestling techniques, you know, yeah. tie up and do different things that they weren't used to having done to you, do a, yeah. you know.
2: Yeah, I know. And that's what it's all about. And that's a very used to the same get, thing. Wrestling on the marquee, we're giving them wrestling.
1: Did you ever get a chance, like to go up to the heart uh, residence yes. or anything like that, and go down to no, the, I, the I dungeon? There. Because again, there's there's there is a lot of similarities between the hearts. Toe taught a lot of amateur wrestling background, yeah. and, and then what 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 you know what, what with, you, with you guys. Yeah, would.
2: and Stu were good friends, but I, I never got up there. Okay, so, you know we were so busy and things were rolling so good in the in the. Awa, uh, there really was no reason to go anywhere. Yeah, no, no
1: need to. I mean, yeah, you, you know, know. Again, just, yeah. but I I just I just know I, that they, you know, the dungeon did a lot of lot of cool yeah. things. But I mean, when you really a lot look of at, the
2: same things, yeah,
1: yeah. But the the, but the dungeon weird. was actually a very small operation. I, I again, I, yeah. I don't know. It, it was kind of surprising when you saw how big this little wrestling room really was there because I mm. they they did a. A match between Owen Hart and uh, Ken Shamrock, where I'm the special guest referee, and I'm thinking you couldn't have fit really anybody else in there. It's like, going, how are they going to pull off a match? And yet they did pull off, you know, match for about I don't know, about eight, eight, eight or ten minutes type of a match. Yeah, inside that thing.
2: Yeah. So no, it's just they've lost the art of it. I, you know, I that's the way I feel about wrestling today. It's strictly entertainment. It's yeah. costumes. It's personalities. Uh, they write their interviews for them. You know, Vern said, just talk from your heart. And he used to tell everybody, you know, when they'd come in, you know, everybody's a little shy. And, you know, he says, let your real personality. That's what we have to get out of you. And we would do interviews. And and when I when I coached, I worked for w, WCW for a while. And uh, I had CM Punk. He's frustrated. He, he can't, he can't make it in wrestling. And I, I said, and he's really pissed off and he's doing these interviews. And I said, who are you pissed off at? He said, well, Vince McMahon, I said, well, give me an interview, how you really feel about him. Tell me how you really feel open up. I don't give a shit. Tell me what you and let him go. And I said, that's what you have to do. You have to let that inner feeling. So it, 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 Goes through the crowd, through the people. So either they're going to like that about you, or they're not going to like it. Right? Vern used to say, "Let that inner self of yours come out. Be who you really are." I used to have to take the kids out. Sometimes I'd get them drunk, and when they're drunk, you know, I said, "Hey, now that's your real personality. Give me that tomorrow." <laughs>
0: you know?
2: But it, it, it's hard with some people. They want to do it, but they're so in intimidated or shy. I don't know, but in that sport, in that, that world, you have to let that personality come out or you're not going to make it.
1: Yeah, well, that that, that is the, the big difference. You, you do all this training and you're in, in more of a guarded type of an environment, but yep. now when you walk out in front of this live crowd, that's when you really find out if this individual has what take, because some people, they get intimidated by a large crowd and, and they might... Uh, could yeah. uh, get them to choke up or something like that, and they can't perform. And then other people, it, it's like the biggest adrenaline dump in the world. They they rise to the occasion. So, what did you do? No, I mean, well, again, <laughs> you rose uh, to
2: the occasion. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I,
1: I had no choice. I had no choice in the matter. There, that's where. How,
2: how, yeah. how did you like working in the UFC?
1: Well, I mean, the, the UFC you know, again. To go back in time because the UFC has changed so much over the years. I mean. Uh, uh, you know, when, when Don and I were still doing it, it was still known as No Holes Bar. They only had a couple of basic rules. I mean, Don was the first time that they, they even did a David versus Goliath match. I mean, before then, it was, you could weigh anything be, before that. But then Don was actually part of one event uh, that was called David versus Goliath, where literally they were matching up all these giants against uh-huh. smaller stature type of individuals there. So, and it was uh, it just, you know, just different types of themes is what they, they came up with but it was uh it just it's just something different i mean honestly other than scrapping with my brothers growing up i never really was in a fight and scrapping with my brothers might have been just going for that last pork chop that was on on the table you know <laughs> that, that's pretty vicious right there
2: <laughs> that caused a big big fight <laughs>
1: to seen me at the buffet a few times. He knows uh, I go, Don't ever cut me, don't ever cut in front of me in front of that buffet. I'll, I'll I'll take you out. I don't care if you're a little old lady at that point. I'll still take you out.
2: Well, <laughs> dad came from a family of 17.
1: Holy moly, where did he fall on the ladder on that one?
2: Well, he was uh he was the second. It was brother Will and then Vern, his sister Ruby, his dad Jerry his mother passed away his dad remarried and had 13 more so he uh, when he went to minnesota he actually i mean he had nothing uh he, his dad didn't want him to wrestle he wanted him to work on the farm and uh, he ended up staying with his aunt and uncle and he'd walk to robbinsdale high school from hamel minnesota was where brad was you know that's where he had his camp in hamel and to robbinsdale had to be 15 miles and sometimes he'd stay over with people there but he'd have to come back and Clean the barns and all that, and and do it. So that's where he really got his. Uh, his dad wanted him to quit school and work in his. He worked in his bar for a while. Him and his brother. Will, Will was eleven, and Vern was nine. <laughs> and they had to, when they the. wanted to work keg, at the bar. Vern's, you say, yeah. When the beer kegs, our job was when the beer kegs got empty, we had to change them.
1: Okay, change them all. Yeah.
2: What we would do. Is we'd lay down on our back and one of us would turn the spout on to make sure it was drained out. So we lay under it, and then we started drinking beer at nine years old.
1: Oh
2: my gosh! <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. So he, he had a he had a tough life growing up, but uh, you know he did well. Yeah, but those those it just it, those are the the it. just those were the times were
1: just the times were just a different type of times. I mean, it's uh. Yeah. You know, just during the 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 pressure tip, uh, time period, on both sides of my 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 grandparents, my i on my mother's side. They they ran a they had a moonshine business stuff like that going because they got to make money. You got to yeah. make money somehow. So again, they yeah. they they had whatever they could do to, to make ends meet.
2: So yeah. it was different times, but uh, you know, he that's why he always wanted. I mean, when we grew up. He wouldn't give us anything. We had to earn it. I remember he had, a, he had an acre. And the first I was only about, I don't know, 10, 11 years old. I had to rake the yard in the fall. Rake this whole damn thing. It took me all day to rake the thing. And I get home and I'm pretty proud of myself. And he said, uh, yeah, you missed a spot over there. And I said, shit, there's only a few leaves there. He said, well, tomorrow, do the whole yard over again. He says, you do it right the first time or well, you don't. Wow. Yeah. So had a lot of lessons like that. <laughs> wow.
1: That's, yeah. that's pretty tough.
2: Yeah, <laughs> it was. But you know what? I did the same thing with my kids then, yeah. you know, and it, especially in this era now they need more discipline than
1: they ever have. Oh it. yeah. There's, we, we, uh, yeah, we, we can easily spend a couple of hours about talking about yeah. today's world of me, me, me. And, uh, oh. I need, I need my cell phone. I need this. I need that. Yeah. And it's like going, you know, no, you don't. It's, no. uh, it's just kind of a crazy world in a lot of different ways. And, uh, you know, this is a, it's a great device. Like I'm, I'm using my laptop here. I'm just to be able to communicate. It's a great tool, but you can get consumed yeah. in that yeah. tool though as well. So, yeah. it's uh, what what are, I mean. if you Don't mind me asking. What, what are some of the projects that you do nowadays? You know, what what
2: what preoccupies your days? I'll tell you tonight. what we're doing right now. We started a. In fact, Dan, I got to get you on board with this. We we started a company of Steve Rosenthal. He did uh, back in the 80s, started action figures. He went to Vince McMahon and wanted to do action figures. And Vince didn't want anything to do with them. So he came to Vern, and he wanted to do action figures of, of the wrestlers. So Vern, did, did, we went and did him with him, and he ran it for eight years. It was the number one selling toy for Remco Toys for eight years. And then he got out of the business. He retired, and he uh, two or three years ago, he called me up and he said, hey, how would you like to get back in the action figure business? I said, well, what do you have in mind? And he told me, I said, you know, there's not much you can, I mean, everybody's got their thing right now. So let's do something different. Let's represent the wrestling world the way it started back in the 50s. They've never had action figures. And those guys were gods. You know, from the DuPont Network was Nationwide ran from 1950 to 1957. You got Luthes, Vern Gagne, Hans Schmidt, Hardbald Haggerty, Yukon Eric, Killer Kowalski, Dick the Bruiser, the Crusher. Let's let's recognize those people and build up and stay away from the WWE. Let's grab people that have never had the action figures.
1: Sure, sure, I get it.
2: So I have signed over 200 people to contracts. We've got. Men, women, midgets, referees, and announcers. And I would love to have you on board. We we
1: our... that we'll discuss that at a different time. Here, but no,
2: that's a different um, time. I
1: mean, action figures
2: are just, they're, they're huge with, especially with collectors. That's who's that's the target we're selling to. So our first six came out, we did Vernon Luthes. Brody and Hansen from the 60s and from the 70s and, you know, 60s, 70s. And then Magnum, T.A. and Kerry Von Erich. And uh, we call them our Ultra Series 1. You can go to powertown.com. Powertown, where our, our theme is Powertown, where wrestling lives on. And you'll see those action figures on the market right now. They say the best figures ever ever produced
1: that is called you said powertown.com
2: powertown.com yeah
1: okay i'll look Power that up a little bit powertown
2: wrestling i don't know how he put the, the thing but uh and, um, and
1: i mean but is there if anyone wants to contact you to say it's for another interview or to you know i mean it's possible maybe even discuss more about the I actual mean, stuff like that is there like a, a a way of contacting you is there an email address is there a phone
2: numbers or what uh well, if they oh, go to, to, Power, go to Power Town, they can probably find all of us. Magnum TA is one of my partners. And then we've got a collector, a couple of collectors and then Steve. And um, the, the figures came out phenomenal. They just announced Series 2 coming out uh, in February. It cost us $27,000 a mold. For one mold? For one mold. Wow. So... Uh, they're really spectacular. The first group that came back, the legs broke off of them, so it set us back about nine months. Uh, but now we got our second series, and now we we own the Remco line, so we're going to come out with another Remco uh, line.
1: I apologize for the dog. It just he he gets, no, gets a little I rambunctious. What's something's right coming by?
2: She's, she's looking at me. Yeah. Um, but we'd love to have you on board because we're representing wrestling that's what we're mm-hmm. representing and the people that built the, built the industry. No,
1: I mean, it's up to, again, that that'll be, we'll, we'll discuss this at a,
2: at a different we time. Will. We will and, uh, discuss it. So I don't, uh, I don't know if I have your phone number or not, but.
1: Uh, well, again, in fact, we, 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 we contact you. What I'll do is I'll, I'll, I'll make certain that.
2: Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll,
1: I'll either give you a, a phone call, send you a text or something like that. And I'll say, this is Let's get both of you
2: on there. Let's get both. And, of uh, you
1: Well, yeah. I'm going Team mustache, come on, you know.
2: Yeah. No, really. I mean, that's who. You know, the, and the and and the, and the sport and the people that built it. And, you know, you guys are a big part of it. Without a Yeah, no, know, but that's, the, the,
1: that's the, the funny part is like, like a lot, lot of times some people watch some videos or something like that and they'll either confuse. Well, when my hair was all darker, so I'll put it that way. When my hair was darker, they would confuse me for being a, uh, uh, either Don Fry or Don Fry would be me or something like that. And it was kind of kind of comical. Now it's kind of like, we're about as different as night and day. Because <laughs> my hair's, you know. But, but, but the funny part, I always tell people that, in, in, in like psychology 101, when, if I'm a, i am I use some of the same ring psychology that I learned in professional wrestling. How to work this crowds, Because I was a professional wrestler first. Then when I climbed into this cage, I already knew how to make the crowd love me. I knew how to make that crowd hate me just by never even speaking a word. What is my body language telling them right there? How am okay. I walking to that cage? How is how, my face show demeanor taking place? Even by what
2: I wore, you know, cool. it tells it tells a story about you. Yep. And that's what we want. And that's yeah. what that's, what, that's what we're telling the story. And I'll tell you what, we've got Walmart, Target, uh, both calling us now Costco. Uh everybody wants to be a part of it. And uh like I say, we're representing the people that built this industry and the people, uh, you know, and the ones have, have you ever thought again, you know, I just as you talk uh, about that, you know, you pitched me that this idea. Have you
1: ever thought about going on Shark Tank?
2: You know, talking about
1: always I I I like that program. I, I just I, I, do, I enjoy do.
2: watching it. You know, I've thought about it. Uh we're trying to do it on our own. Uh-huh. But we could really, you, it would help us if we could get an influx of some cash in right now. But uh, Steve Rosenthal thinks that in two or three years that this thing will be worth uh, an awful lot of money.
1: Sure. No, again, yeah, the you action know, figures are, and, are, and, it's a great industry know, We to be want to
2: make money with it, but my whole goal and Magnum TA, who's one of my partners on there, he's been working, our goal is to, tell the story of wrestling and the people that built that, the industry. It wasn't Vince McMahon that built this industry or AEW. Yeah. You know, it was these, the Stu Harts and the Verganias and the Bill Watts and-
1: No, and, I, I, I agree, it, 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 was, it was it was that old territory, old, old territory type yeah. of a aspect that, that took place that, that people, I, again, as I said earlier, I wish I had been alive during that that era because that that would have better suited me, you know. It would have
2: you would have fit. I tell you what, you'd have fit into the AWA because that was that was Vern's whole theory. Uh, yeah. you know Brad, poor Brad, he just didn't have uh, the personality. To yeah. you know, a great guy, phenomenal wrestler, love him to death, but he didn't get over with the public
1: mm-hmm.
2: you know it's just too blah you have charisma
1: well but let's see you, you say that you see you say that now but if you ever really watched a lot of my matches and professional I not once did I ever speak really on that microphone and stuff like that my whole aspect was I want to wrestle
2: Dan and that's... Dan if you'd have been with Vern you would have got over like a son of a boy. well <laughs> Because well, he loved he loved wrestlers, and he would he would teach you how to you know how to be able to talk and get over. And yeah, you wanted to wrestle, but your personality you got a great personality it comes out here on the air. Well, no, no, again, well, that's where I'm, I'm. I'm good when when talking with people. I'm
1: good. I, otherwise, I I'll sit back. I'll be quiet. I I, I always like to hear. I, I'm, yeah. I'm always telling people you can learn something at all times. So I'm always sitting back there. And I, I listen to people and list what's going on, even like in, in my early t- times going working with four Vince. I would show up there. I'm the only guy that's showing up on time, you know, and yep. I'm getting in there early and there's nobody else here. You know, they might they you be like early in the afternoon. I'm like, I'm, not, I'm the only person here. And then, you know, it wasn't too long that one of the road agents just pulls me aside there, Dan, like going, you know, that rule really does, does not pertain to you. And I'm thinking, my, my mind, I'm thinking, well, why doesn't it pertain to me? Well, again, I, I learned real quick because when I when I started watching the locker room dynamics, and I seen how many derelicts I'll use the word derelicts how many derelicts were involved in that industry, and the the whole company was more or less a babysitting job because yeah. they didn't know what kind of condition you were going to show up in. They yeah. may, you know, and they, but they such a again to to Vince's credit, he had a well-oiled machine to where they had seamstresses there that if you lost your outfit, they will whip you up in the matter of the next couple hours. They'll whip you up another outfit yep. for you to wear. If you got circles underneath your eyes, they'll dust out the circles. They'll sober you up. Literally, they'll do everything for you except wrestle the match. And yep. even then, if it's on a night of, of editing, oh, they can edit out all the bad stuff and still make you look like a star. Yep. The way it was, I was very impressed about how everything was laid out and how they did everything, it just, you know, and and what I looked at is like, the talent did not realize what an opportunity they had, and they still fell into this thing, like, of, of wanting to go out and just getting, getting shit-faced. And then yeah. and driving on to the next thing, I'm thinking, ah, you know, the same 24 hours that these guys are wrestling one match, I actually lined up Two other gigs. I go to a speaking engagement. I do a seminar earlier in the day. And so I'm in the same 24 hours that they're making one paycheck. I'm pulling down three paychecks.
2: Yeah.
1: You know, yeah. my time was gone. I want to make the most of my time. Yeah. So. But. Well.
2: But thanks anyway, for I, thanks for having me on tonight.
1: No, no. I, again, I, I know we're getting that that going time finish, and uh, I've, got, I've got a dog that's starting to act up. I'm gonna have to go feed him. So I I'm going to. Greg, I mean, uh, well, one more T- time. T- you, you T- say- and
2: a, uh, Terry and I are having a, we're starting a podcast in January uh, with a company and I'd like to call you and have you on one time.
1: No, it'd be great. I mean, what, what we do is like I said, what, at, at the end there, I'll, I'll make sure that I, get, I I'll get all your contact information for, from Tony stuff like that. And I'll send you uh, either email or at least send you text. I'm going to be bowing out here pretty quick because I've I got to go yeah. take care of some things. Yeah,
2: Okay. okay. All right. Good enough. No. Thanks again. Appreciate having
1: you on here tonight. Bram Ganya. It's been fantastic. And uh, look forward to um, chatting again.
2: Do it again. And have a Merry Christmas.
1: All right. All right. As well.
2: Take care. Thank you.
0: Thank you you for watching another episode of Dan and Don's Toxic Masculinity. You better like, subscribe, and share, or I'm going to come to your house.